0: Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with him with them in the clouds to meet the Lord <clears throat> to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord so when's reading God's Word <clears throat> Please bow your head and word of word of prayer. Dear <clears throat> God, thank you for today that uh, we can uh just come together and and uh worship you and in, in fellowship and um just spend time together and uh just have a bond and a connection uh, where we can rejoice in you and, and look forward to meeting you again, God. Um I'm just so thankful for the family here, and uh, um, pray with the difficult times ahead that we would just stay unified in you, and that we would just trust you. <clears throat> There's a lot to be afraid of, and a lot of fear in this world, but uh, um, you can give us hope and comfort, God. And I pray that we would just depend on you and lean on you every day. I uh, pray you give Pastor the words to say, and that you'd open our hearts and minds um, to what you say that you just use, Pastor, um, as your vessel. Praise in your name. Amen.
1: When I was a teenager back in Wisconsin, I loved to sleep in. And one of the main reasons that I liked to sleep in was because I would stay awake at night reading. I was a voracious reader, and uh, sometimes even on school nights I would stay up until 2 in the morning trying to finish the novel that I was reading. And this habit was not very beneficial to me catching the school bus at 6 (laughs) a.m., and uh, there were many different occasions where my mom would be hollering up the stairs for me to get up and get ready. I'd lift my head up for a moment, then I'd plop back down and fall back asleep, and then I'd have to rush out the door half-dressed to try to catch the bus, and if I missed the bus, my mom would have to drive me the 12 miles into school. One day out of sheer frustration from my hibernation, she pulled the covers back and threw a bucket of ice water on me. (laughs) And uh, talk about a shock. There was no going back to sleep after that. Well, all around town this last week, I've been seeing fake gravestones in yards with the letters R.I.P. representing rest in peace. And the grave is a picture of a nice long rest or nap from the toil of this life. But in our text today, we see that the dead are going to be shocked awake at some date in the near future they will hear a great trumpet blast. It's going to sound something like this. (laughs) Many talents, I tell you. It's amazing to me. Well, the resurrection of the dead has caused much confusion throughout the centuries. And this morning we're going to be looking at this text here regarding this question and try to answer three main questions. The first question that we see here in this text is immediate presence or soul sleep. What happens when we have death occurring in our lives? What happens in that intermediary state between death and And the resurrection. Well, the thing that makes this uh, even more complex is in Scripture we actually see two different things. It seems to support soul sleep and immediately being with the Lord. First of all, listen to these places that talk about death as being compared to sleep. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That's from 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 18. Also in 1 Corinthians 15, we see, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Also in 1 Thessalonians, we see, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And then finally in Mark 5, 39, And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making all this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. That's Jesus speaking to the people who were mourning this little girl's death. And so, this very idea of sleeping here gives us the impression that Christians who are deceased have no consciousness. They're unconscious to what's going on around. That they will be alive one moment, then they will die, and the very next thing that they will experience is the trumpet blast of God being raised up. Okay? And so that's the belief of soul sleep. Kind of would be similar to anesthesia. If you've ever had a surgery, I was having a surgery for a hernia operation, and I was talking to the nurse, and then I woke up and I was like, when are they going to start the surgery? Because for you, it doesn't feel like any time pass at all. It's not like sleeping, actually, in the night, because when you sleep at night, you have this kind of feeling and sense of time passing. But under anesthesia, there's no time passing for you in your mind, and that wouldn't be too bad, would it? You know, to just die in the next moment that you know that you're aware of, you're waking up to the trumpet blast of God. Okay. But we also see that there's another kind of uh, situation here that is seen in Scripture. Uh, we see that heaven is open to the believer upon their death. In 2 Corinthians 5.6 uh, it says, While we are at home in the body we are away from the Lord. So there's this idea that when our soul and spirit are still connected to the body, we are away from the Lord, but then when we die, our soul and spirit leave the body and are with the Lord. Okay, And we see this in verse 8, that Paul goes on to say that being absent from the body means to be present with the Lord. Also in Luke 23, 43, Jesus told the thief, on the cross as he was dying today you will be with me in paradise notice that he didn't say you're going to die and then thousands of years from now you'll wake up and you'll be with me in paradise no today you will be with me in paradise paul also makes an argument in philippians 1:21 that to die in the lord is gain and that it'd be much better to depart and be with the lord Notice depart, that's why we call them the dearly departed. To depart and be with the Lord than to continue on in the way that he was at that time. Persecutions, his body aching, facing death, and all of these things. Okay? So how would it be much better to be away from your body if all you're doing is sleeping for thousands of years? All right. Another place that seems to indicate that we go to a place of consciousness, whether it's torment or delight is the story that we talked about a couple of months ago about the rich man Lazarus, right? They both died, and then they were in these two separate places. Paradise, or it's called Abraham's bosom, or Hades, where the rich man was. Both conscious in delight and torment, all right? So what's all this talk then of soul sleep? Well, the best I can figure is that sleep is a gentler word picture that's used to describe how dead people appear. Their bodies seem to be sleeping, right? But from their perspective, it seems clear in Scripture that the souls depart from their bodies and take up residence in a spiritual realm. Now, some might wonder, what are we doing for all that time while we're waiting for the Lord's return? Well, the best I can figure is that we're doing the exact same thing that Jesus is doing. What's Jesus doing right now? Well, the first thing I think that he's doing is he's cheering on us, the saints that are alive. Also, he is making intercession on our behalf. The Bible tells us that he lives to make continual intercession for us. And so if you think about prayer as just being a conversation with God, I can imagine that your dead relatives or your dead friends who are Christians are talking to God about you, you know? And cheering us on, as we see in Hebrews 12.1. The next question that we see here is, why do we meet him in the air? This passage uh, that was read by Daniel says that we meet him in the air. Okay? Why not just in the New Jerusalem or the Mount of Olives or in heaven? Why don't we just get transported like on Star Trek right into heaven? Okay, So I was speaking a while back at one of my kids' schools and they were, uh, there was like a big auditorium there and I said to the kids, I said, hey, that light is kind of dusty up there. Can somebody just zoom up there and take care of that for us? And they're like, no, we can't do that. Well, actually, the kindergartners were trying for a while and the sixth graders are looking at me like, I'm an idiot. And so... It's pretty amazing to think that you'll be on this earth, if you're still alive, when Jesus returns, you are going to zoom up like Superman, is the only thing I can think of to relate it to, like Superman, and meet Jesus in the clouds. Also, the dead Christians will also get their bodies, and they'll be changed from decomposing worm food to their spiritual bodies and zoom up to meet the Lord in the air. And so why are we meeting him in the air? The main reason that we're meeting him in the air is because the day of the Lord has come and he is riding down and he's coming to bring judgment to the earth. We see this in First 1 Corinthians 15.52. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. And then we see in Revelation 19, 11 through 14, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. We know this is Jesus. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped with blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. There are two other places in Scripture that talk about this Um, going out to meet him, okay? And so that word, meeting him in the clouds, is seen in two other places where it's translated as meet him. One of the places where it talks about that is when uh, Andrew goes to get Peter. So he met him, and he goes back to Jesus again with him. Also, we see that in the sense of the ten virgins. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Let's go out to meet him. So it's this meeting, you go out, and then you come back in to the wedding feast, or where the ceremony is going to take place. And so the sense for us is meeting him and returning back, right? So you don't meet the Lord in the air at the last trumpet and then go off to heaven and enjoy all these things while he's taking care of business down here. No, we're here in part of the battle, all right? And the way I envision this is in heaven you have this white steed that you've never met. That's empty. It's riding down empty with the Lord in the air. You rise up to meet him in the air with all the dead Christians who've gone before. You jump on the horse and you come back down in the battle. And that's the only way... Why would we be up in heaven celebrating when Jesus is taking care of business down here? We're with the Lord always, even in the midst of the judgment that is taking place on the earth here. All right, so in John 5, 28 through 29, it says, Do not marvel at this for an hour's coming, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. At the last trumpet, all dead people will be raised. Everyone. All the dead unrighteous will be raised to face judgment, and all the dead just who have been justified in the Lord will be raised to eternal life with the Lord. And you see here, there's two sides to a battle that's taking place. In fact, it's interesting, when you look at that um, verse that talks about the trumpet call of God, there were three different kinds of shofar trumpet blasts. One was called the takiah. This was the long one that I did just a second ago. That was a summons. Okay, Usually you were a coronation for a king. There was also one called the Shevarim, which was kind of a broken up one that sounded like weeping. You'd hear that at funerals a lot of time. But the last one was called the Taruha. and this was a short one. It kind of sounded like this. And so that one was a call to command. Typically was a situation where the enemy is here, or a call to battle. And so we're going out and that command was given. That's the word that's used here when it says the command of God in the trumpet blast. It's a call to battle. Not just for us. (laughs) It's for the dead unrighteous too. Get up and gird yourself because you're in trouble. Your enemy, (laughs) now Jesus has become their enemy, Is coming, And that's why you see situations in the last times where people are trying to hide under mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who's coming in wrath. They're on the wrong side of the battle. They've chosen their side. And now the judgment and wrath of God is being poured out upon the earth and they're stuck. That's why in the Bible it says, Every eye will see him when he comes. Even those who pierced him. Who are those who pierced him? The Romans and then the Jews who supported them 2,000 years ago. They will be raised up in unrighteousness and face the coming wrath of the Lord at his final day. And we're right there alongside of him. The final question I want to address here this morning that we see in the text is what is my new body like? Some might wonder, well, what's my new body going to be like? Well, we can get a pretty good idea of how our body is going to be by looking at Jesus' resurrected body, can't we? One thing I want you to notice about his resurrected body is that he ate fish. (laughs) He ate bread while he was here after his resurrection. That tells me that we have a digestive system and that we're eating In fact, the Bible talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb. Wouldn't it be weird if we were all sitting down at the wedding supper and nobody was eating? Talks about the tree of life, that you will eat from the tree of life. And so we have bodies. And that's exciting because these are enjoyable things. What would we do three or four times a day besides eat if we didn't have bodies that could eat, right? In the Greek mindset, this was a scandalous teaching because they believed that every sin was directly connected to the physical. And once you disconnected, your spirit and soul disconnected from the physical, all your problems were taken care of because you didn't have the problems of the physical flesh anymore. That's why on Mars Hill, Paul is debating with the people on Mars Hill, these philosophers, and they're kind of with him along the way until he gets to the point where he says that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Then they begin to mock him. Resurrection from the dead. That's because they believed that they were going to be ethereal spirits and not have raised bodies. There are also a number of aspects about our new bodies that are seen in 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44, where Paul describes our bodies as compared to seeds that are planted in the ground. He says, So does with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If you just looked on the ground and there was a seed sitting there, you probably wouldn't know it. (laughs) Because seeds look like shriveled up little pieces of dirt, or a little rock, or a piece of lint, right? Probably disregard it. But take that seed and stick it in the ground and wait a few months and see what happens. Then suddenly you recognize, especially if it's something like an acorn, and you wait 50 years, hard to ignore a big oak tree sitting there, right? And so it is with our bodies. We don't look like much now. We're perishing. We're disintegrating. We are degrading. But our raised body is going to be so much different. And he names a few different things right now. He says, your body is uh, imperishable. That means there's an unending existence. You will live forever. Next we see that it is raised in glory. To be raised in glory has the idea of dignity or nobility or honor. And that's in comparison with the dishonor or the shame that the seed is planted in the ground. Right? I've been to a lot of funerals, partly for my job and just family members. And I've been to a lot of open caskets, right? And I've never walked up to an open casket and looked in and said, wow, they look great, you know? No matter how well the mortician did, embalming and trying to preserve and present them, they basically look like wax mummies. They don't look real. They don't look honorable and dignified, and glorious. Especially if you dug them up in four months, right? And took a look at them. And so this is talking about us being raised, being raised up in glory, glorious beings. Also, it says that uh, we are raised up in power, sown in weakness, because they had succumbed to some kind of disease, or maybe a trauma. But at the resurrection, nothing will be able to hurt you again. You will be a very powerful being. No more pain, no more death. And this is going to be an amazing coming home present that the Lord has prepared for you. And finally, we see that the new body is what the Bible calls spiritual. And when you hear that word spiritual, don't think of you know, a ghost, death, or real phantom that you can see through. Think rather of supernatural. That's what that word spiritual means there. You will have a supernatural body. It will be able to do things that are above and beyond the natural realm right now. Things like Jesus was able to do, which is come in and out of physical existence or walk through a wall or fly up in the air. You know, these kinds of things. And so you will have amazing abilities that you don't have now. Your mind alone will be amazingly transformed. The bio, our, our science right now says that we use, what, 10% of our minds, or something like that. You know? Then you're going to use your whole mind, plus it's going to be a renewed mind, not weighed down with sin and all of these things. So these are amazing promises that we have about what our body is going to be like and we think of the spiritual and I've said this before always think of the spiritual as more real than your physical body here. And the reason it's more real is because it will not succumb to anything that changes it now. You're not going to get your arm cut off. You're not going to have your kidneys a kidney removed, or your gallbladder or whatever else like that. You will be impervious to anything changing your body there. And that's an amazing, amazing promise that we have. In conclusion here today, that's something I can get excited to wake up to. The reason I wanted to sleep on in Wisconsin is because I was the first kid on the bus. And in January, when you're the first stop, that bus has not had time to warm up yet. And the seat felt like a glacier, you know, compared to my nice, warm, comfortable bed with all the quilts piled on, and that's why we wanted to sleep on and on. It won't be hard for us to leave this life, brothers and sisters. Not when we see all that the Lord has in store for us. And so that's why we can say, Maranatha, and look forward to the coming of the Lord. Not be afraid of it. We don't have to be afraid of death. Because we have so much to look forward to. And I know some people say, Pastor Scott, I'm still afraid, even though you said don't be afraid. And what that is, is it's kind of like uncertainty. When you've never been to a place before, you're kind of anxious about, well, how's it going to be? And is it really going to be as good as they say in the postcards? And that kind of thing. For us, we know that death for us is just quick. It's a, I'm not saying the process. I'm just saying once you die, you're with the Lord right from life to life. And not all this weird, scary stuff you see out there on Halloween, you know, decaying and coming back up as a corpse and a zombie and all this stuff. No. We have life to look forward to. And the amazing thing about it is, the thing that gives us life is because the presence of the Lord is there. Right now, in our day and age, we see what's called the Law of Entropy, Or the heat death of the universe. It's continually degrading down and down, kind of like the gas ran out in the grill, it's out. That's our universe now. But life will be sustained forever in the presence of the Lord. Father God, we thank you so much for your promises. We thank you that we can look forward to amazing new bodies, that we don't have to fear your wrath and judgment when you come back on that day, but we can. forward to meeting you in the air and seeing you finalize the judgment of the earth against the wicked. Father, help us to look forward to that day, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.